Welcome to Theology for the People. This is Pastor Nick Cady, and this is the show where we bring you conversations about theological topics and bring them in a way that's understandable and hopefully helpful. My guest today, once again, is Pastor Gino Geraci. Hey, Gino. Hey. Hey, good to have you with us. On our last episode, we talked about the image of God, and we kind of left off in that conversation saying that, okay, here are some of the implications of it, and they're very, very big. Uh, and yet, belief in the image of God hinges on something, and what it hinges on is belief in revelation and what right. we, how we understand the revelation that God has given us. And um, so, I wanted to have you back on here to talk about what is revelation, mm -hmm. how should we understand it, and maybe what are some implications of it. What does the Bible have to say about it? So, uh, maybe just lay a foundation for us as for what are we talking about when we talk about. Revelation, and how does it relate to the Bible? Well, typically, theologians classify Revelation generally. There's very sp specific things, but in, in broad terms, there's general revelation and special revelation. These are the two ways that God has chosen to reveal himself to humanity. So general revelation refers to the general truths that can be known about God through nature, and special revelation refers to the more specific truths that can be known about God through supernatural means. And by supernatural means, I mean in the, in the past, God appeared. God spoke sometimes through dreams, um, through miracles. But more specifically in Hebrews 11, it, the, the writer of Hebrews says that God spoke in times past through the prophets, but he has spoken to us in these last days by his own dear son. So there's something about what the prophets said that give us very specific information. And then there's things that Jesus said that has given us even more specific um, information. So in places like uh, the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 20, and Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 through 4, it talks about general revelation. In Psalm 19, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. The idea is that if you're in South America, Central America, if you're in Russia or Eastern Europe, the stars, as they move across the skies, have something to say to everyone, no matter what language that they speak that the earth in which we live has a powerful way of speaking. Like in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. This is Paul's way of saying no one in their right mind can look at the creation and not come to the conclusion that there is a creator, that you literally have to go out of your way to look around at creation, its specificity and design. So the big issue becomes, well, what kind of a creator is the creator? Mm -hmm. Well, again, Paul's argument is that anyone who has a f any sense of fairness, looking at the universe as it is, has got to come to the conclusion that whatever kind of God, that if there is a God, that this God is powerful and creative. And, and so, so the general 
world in which we live can tell us something about God. Mm-hmm. So, so there's two ways of thinking about this. General revelation tells us something about the world in which we live in as it relates to God, and special revelation tells us about the world in which we live in as it relates to God. So understanding special revelation and general revelation disconnected from God is wrong thinking about revelation. Okay. Yeah, that's really good. So let's uh, let's dive into that a little bit more. What are some of the things that can be intuited just by somebody paying attention to nature? Like, what are some of the things we can learn about God just by looking at nature? I mean, what, what you know, do you think? Um, one of the things, as I think of scientists who were also creationists, um, that they would look at, for instance, a peanut. And they would say, what can the peanut tell us about God? And again, when you look at its design, when you look at its intricacy, when you look at its how many different uses that it has, um, we all of a sudden begin to see the this amazing world in which we live. And of course, as we stretch back through time, and we know that human beings have looked at the world in which they live, they've come to to the realization that the elements as they exist, the animal kingdom, we've even literally broken them down into different sections because the world is so big and so wonderful that we have to break it down into different branches of knowledge. And so, again, we're back to that, what we talked about in an earlier broadcast about the correspondence theory of truth. It is the biblical worldview that gives us the ability to think carefully and and observe intuitively, with curiosity, inductively, and deductively, and then draw conclusions. This is why we think that Western civilization and the emergence of science couldn't have really happened unless you had a biblical Mm. worldview. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that before. I think that's, I think that's true. So um, just kind of in summary, so we can know that God is intelligent. Right. Um, I think the other thing we can intuit and know just by looking at nature is that not only is God intelligent, but that he cares for us. Right. Right. So he sends the rain to produce the fruit, the food, and these things grow up from the ground and our bodies are made in such a way that they can take those things and process them, that all of our world depends on water and we happen to be creatures who need yes. to drink water. And, um, and so there's this, there's this fact that God is intelligent and that God cares about us. Um, do you think there's anything else that we can know? Well, you know, when Paul uses the expression in Romans chapter one, verse 20, that these things are, he is his words clearly seen, understood. He uses those terms because I think it's his way of saying, and you can't deny these facts. Mm -hmm. They're clearly seen, understood. What's clearly seen? His power, his majesty, his glory, but what his creative ability, but also what you said, that he cares, that he cares for his creatures. That, that just like as you look out into the world, there's an interaction that takes place um, in the world in which we live. And so Jesus will even bring that to our attention in the New Testament when he says, consider the lilies of the field, or when he talks about the sparrows, or the birds have nests mm. and foxes have holes. He's alluding to the fact that even the animal kingdom, 
there's a provision made for them by a caring God mm, for, for animals and humans. So it's, it's, it's really remarkable. How about this? Um, do you think that by observing the world we live in, so this is now we are after the fact that sin and the curse of sin, which is death, has come into the world that has corrupted creation. Don't you think that that is also something that is intuited just by looking at the world around us? So we can see the world is beautiful, right? and yet... It's marred. It's broken. Yeah, it's, it's marred. broken. And I think every worldview incorporates that idea. No worldview dismisses the fact that something has gone wrong. They might have a different explanation of what's gone wrong yeah. and why it's gone wrong, but they look out in the world and they know that something isn't mm. right. Something is not quite right. And maybe the most powerful reoccurring um, issue that we all have to deal with is death. Mm -hmm. we, we have grandmas, grandpas, loved ones, children, everyone listening probably has some sort of interaction with death. And we know that it's bad and we know that it's wrong and we know that it makes us feel bad. We, we know that it doesn't seem to belong in the world in which we live. And so I think much of what we think about is surrounded by this issue of death. Yeah. Why is it here? And, and what's going to happen when I die? Because there's this growing reality that we will in fact die. And then everybody's asking and answering the question, well, what then? Mm. And, and so general revelation can tell us so many things, but it can't tell us everything. Right. Well, let me just pause one second here before we move into what it can't tell us. Um, you know, I just, I just think anecdotally, I think it's so telling whenever I, I do a funeral, right? It'll be, Grandma was like 120 years old and everybody's shocked, right? It's something they feel that it's wrong. Mm -hmm. This is the way it is. Everybody who lives dies. And yet there's something about it that we feel is scandalous. It is wrong. And we say to ourselves, sometimes we say it out loud, this may be the way that it is, but it's not the way it should be. We hear about a shooting. We hear about a travesty of justice. And we say, that's not the, it shouldn't be that way. That's not right. It ought not to be. And, um, and, and we look out in the world and we see natural disasters and things like that. And there's something about it that feels so foreign and so wrong. I think that is a major part of general revelation. Mm -hmm. um, there's a great song by Andrew Peterson. Are you familiar with it? Um, it begins with this line, do you feel the world is broken? And there's just something that grabs you when you hear that line, because as you're saying, every culture in the world agrees the world is broken. There's something wrong. I think of a song where a person said, is it just me or have you felt a bitter wind against your soul? I do believe the world grows colder every day and our hearts and the hearts of men are frozen by a fear they can't control. In a world full of sorrow, uncertain tomorrow, and the need to see beyond the icy grave mm. to the one who saves, mm -hmm. to the one who saves. This is the powerful message of the gospel. The gospel gives us the ability to look 
further and then come to a different c- conclusion. I did 19 funerals in 2019. Hmm. And I was once again captured by the verse that says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I know it's true. Hmm. I know that what the Bible says is true. But to your point, every molecule in my body is in rebellion going, there's something wrong. There's terribly, there's something terribly wrong about death. But then again, specific revelation gives us an unbelievable privilege to look at the subject differently. And now we can begin to explore where did it come from? Why is it here? Has anyone defeated it? And is it possible that if a person dies, will they live again? Hmm. This is the great question in the oldest book in the Bible. Yeah. In in the book of Job. And for our listeners, I mean, theologically, we use a term for this called theodicy, mm-hmm. which means to make an argument for God in Greek. That's what it means. Um, but I, I find this interesting. One of the great questions that people say, this is what's hard for me. Uh, you know, this is a hurdle or a struggle for me in coming to faith mm-hmm. is this question of why is there suffering and brokenness in the world if God is good and loving? That is the subject of the first book to be written chronologically in the right. Bible. God says, let me talk about this with you because it's important. Right. And of course, if we fast forward into the New Testament, where Jesus is standing at the grave of his friend Lazarus, and he makes the astonishing statement, I'm the resurrection and the life, and he that believes in me, even if he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. He turns to the grieving family of Lazarus, to Mary and Martha, and he says, do you believe this? And of course, theologically, they say, of course, we believe that people are going to come back to life, just like we've been taught as children, in this great resurrection. And and Jesus is basically going to startle everyone by saying, no, I have a different plan. I'm going to bring them back to life like right now. Yeah, And there is something astonishing because general revelation tells us dead things never come back to life. Specific revelation says under certain circumstances, dead things can in fact come back to life. Mm -hmm. This is the difference between general revelation and specific revelation in the sense that specific revelation allows us access to information that no matter how hard we search, we would never be able to access that information if it weren't for what God says by his word. So you're kind of already answering it, but let me just ask it explicitly. Uh, What are the limitations, therefore, of general revelation, and why do we need specific revelation? Apparently, general revelation has certain limitations. It it can give us the answer to the, the reality that something is there, but it can't tell us why. In other words, we look at general revelation in the creation, which seems to indicate that there's a creator, but it doesn't tell us what kind of creator. We can look at a flower and we know that it's beautiful, but we don't know why it's beautiful. And that's where specific revelation says, back to what we talked last week about made in the image of God, we are made in the image of God. So we look at things and we see beauty, we see value, we, we experience joy. Um, specific 
Revelation begins to tell us, well, then how do we explain the brokenness in the world? Specific Revelation says, oh, guess what? Human beings were made in the image of God, but they rebelled against their creator. And it is that rebellion. It is that rebellion that is at the root of the brokenness, both of the individual and the world in which we live in. And as we begin to process this specific revelation and we go, oh, you mean there's an explanation of the broken world? And is there an explanation how that brokenness can become wholeness and wellness? That's the gospel. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's talk about more about this specific revelation. Uh, one of the phrases used in the Bible is a uh, Paul, like in Colossians, he says, this is a mystery mm-hmm. that has now been revealed in Christ. And so the word there in Greek is mysterion, but it seems to be related to this idea of specific revelation, would you say? I would say, and but and again, we need to define our terms. When Paul is using the term, he doesn't mean something that was unknown and that no one can ever know. He's using it as a term to describe something that was pre- previously covered, but now it's uncovered. In other words, we have access to something. It was a mystery, not in, in, in the sense of an inexplicable uh, enigma, but rather how do we explain the mystery of the church, for instance, that God is going to take Jew and Gentile and create one new man. This was a mystery. How is God going to unite both Jew and Gentile? And Paul is basically making the argument that it was always God's plan. It was always God's plan to reunite humanity which seemed like an impossibility since the divisions were so deep and so dramatic. But so the, the, the mysterion that he's talking about is something that was previously covered that is now uncovered and we can rejoice in it. Mm. So, so to me, there's two kinds of things. There are things that we don't know and that we'll, we'll never know this side of eternity. Mm-hmm things that were previously not understood but are now understood in Christ Jesus. So just like the mysterion that he's talking about, something that was previously covered and now it's uncovered, Jesus becomes the ultimate mysterion. It was previously thought that the Messiah would come and liberate uh, from oppression, back to the whole justice issue. But who knew that Jesus was going to come to be the satisfying solution to the problem of sin now and forever? Hmm. There were hints of it in the Old Testament that salvation would come by, well, sacrifice. It would come by blood. It would come by grace. It would come by an individual. And now Jesus both not just in in type and shadow, but in reality becomes the solution to the problem of sin. And so Paul, when he's talking about these things, things that we previously didn't know, but God, because of specific revelation, we now have an answer Mm -hmm. to something that we didn't know. So would you say a specific revelation is necessary for salvation? I would say that it is necessary for salvation because Paul argues it in the book of Romans. He goes, how 
how are they going to know unless somebody tells them? Mm -hmm. And and how will a preacher go unless he's sent? And so Paul is making the astonishing statement that, again, human beings were troubled in times past. He argues in the book of Acts chapter 15 to the Epicureans and the Stoics and the Greek philosophers that God overlooked these things in times past, but now he has given us a specific revelation in Jesus Christ so that everyone would repent and everyone would believe. So along with that specific revelation, you're saying comes a matter of responsibility, would you say? I would say the responsibility comes by hearing it. You know, Paul says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of of God. The whole point becomes to hear in such a way, to hear in such a way that you go, oh my, it's true. I'm a sinner. And the problem is I need a savior. General revelation says there's something wrong with me. General revelation can even ask the question, how do I fix what's wrong with me. But general revelation can't provide an answer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about this phrase, all truth is God's truth? How does that relate to our conversation? I don't know. It's a conversation. Sure, bit. sure. And, and the yeah. way that I would, I would say it is, in a, in a way, this is a true statement, and in a way, it's not. The, the way that I would say it is, is general revelation true? Yeah, is specific revelation true? But is all truth true in the same way? And let me tell you what I mean by that. Going back to this idea of death and dead tissue, general revelation tells us dead tissue never comes back to life. Specific revelation says there's an exception to the rule. God, through the power of his Holy Spirit and will, brings Jesus back to life. We would never, ever believe in a resurrection if it weren't for specific revelation. Mm -hmm. And so if we ask and we answer the question, well, is all truth God's truth? Well, the answer is yes, but it's not true in the same way. General revelation can give us part of the truth. Specific revelation invites us to consider the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So is part of the truth, in fact, true? Well, the answer is yes. But will we come to an appropriate conclusion apart from specific revelation? You know, um, the very famous um, atheist who wrote the book The God Delusion was asked the question, what if it prove what what if everything you believe proves to be wrong? You in fact do die and you in fact do have to stand before your creator. What are you going to say to this creator that you refuse to believe in and you publicly rejected? His answer was, Why didn't you give me more evidence? Hmm. Why didn't you give me more evidence? And according to the Bible, Every human being has been given sufficient evidence in general revelation and then specific revelation to ask and answer the question, is there a God? What kind of God is God? 
does this God love me? And has this God provided a solution to the problem of sin? Mm-hmm. And that is why we constantly point people to specific revelation, to the Bible and to Jesus and to the gospel. So here's here's my question for you. Would you say that specific revelation is limited to the Bible or is there specific revelation beyond the Bible? I would say that there's specific revelation beyond the Bible in this sense, that, there, that just like the, the writer of Hebrews says, God spoke in times past through the prophets. We know that even in the Bible, um, the Lord would sometimes show up in dreams. He would sometimes show up in visions. Was that, in fact, specific revelation? The answer is yes. But the way that I would answer your, your question is, can God, in other ways, be specific in, in revelation? And, and I think that the answer is yes. But then I would also point out that specific revelation is subordinate to the Bible, to the revealed word of God. It is subordinate. And so if I have a dream or a vision or a word, it I must submit it to God, and I have to submit it first to the word of God and second to the character of God. So if I have a dream, vision, word, and it is inconsistent with the word of God or the character of God, then I would characterize it as being minimum insufficient, maximum rejected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good way to think about it. So, um, you know, the word of God then takes precedent over any other forms that could come. Of because, specific revelation. Because, yeah, that's the thing about, uh, I think that would be a pushback that people have. Couldn't somebody make it up? Couldn't they fake it? Sure. And wouldn't that be dangerous if we had a bunch of people going around faking and saying they had a word from God that wasn't really from God? And I would even go so far as to say that, of course, many people have literally made the claim that they had a word from God. And in in fact, it wasn't a word from God. Hence, that's why I say the twofold test. Submit it to the revelation of what God has said on any given subject and subordinate it both to that and to the character of God mm. as it's revealed in God. Yeah. So we're back to the crazy question that that uh, I asked as a kid to my Roman Catholic priest. Well, if God is so mighty, can he make a rock so big that even he can't lift it? And of course, the right answer is, that's a stupid question. <laughs> because would God, would the God of the Bible make a rock so big that even he can't lift it. So the right answer has to be, God is not going to act in a way that is inconsistent with what he's already revealed or inconsistent with his character. Mm -hmm. Really good. Well, Gino, thank you so much for this. I hope it was helpful for our listeners. Uh, Maybe give us a, a few websites, online things where people can connect with you, hear your radio show, and some of the work that you're doing right now. Well, you can listen live at any time, uh, 94.7 FM, The Word. You can go to um, um, Scripture Says or GinoGeraci.com. That's GinoGeraci.com. And of course, I love, love, love for people to visit our website at GotQuestions. It's GotQuestions.org. And of course, um, there are so many, many questions that people have. I hope and pray that um, we have an answer posted for you. And if not, by all means, submit 
your questions to gotquestions.org for our consideration. So is there a way to do that on that website? Yeah, you can go to gotquestions.org and just say, ask a question or submit a question. Right. And then it, I guess you guys just have a, it goes into a queue and it goes into a queue and we'll ask and answer. Oh yes. You know what? We've already answered that question and here it is. Oh. Or we can say, you know what? We've never been asked that question and thank you for the question. And um, we'll, we'll try to come up with an answer. How many articles are on that website? There are more than 20,000. Wow. Yeah. Huge resource. I use it. I recommend it all the time. We had a class here at church the other day on evangelism. Mm -hmm. And that was one of my resources that I mentioned is got questions. Mm -hmm. Great resource. Um, questions people are asking. Here's a great way to find quick answers. You pull it up on your phone even. So, um, Gino, I'm also going to give one plug, and that is for people in the Longmont area or along the Northern Front Range, Gino's going to be speaking at the church that I pastor, Whitefields Community Church here in Longmont on December 5th. December 5th. I'm going to be in Israel, and I'm really glad that you're going to be coming to teach, Gino. So, Oh, it'll be great, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so invite a friend, invite your family, come in here, Pastor Gino speak. Uh, one of the benefits, I would think, now of you know, being retired from your church uh, at Calvary South Denver is that it allows you the opportunity to do a little bit more speaking broadly. Yeah, and I've had the great privilege of speaking in a number of front-range uh, Calvary chapels and other churches, and always look forward to that. And uh, like you, I've got Many messages posted on YouTube. So if you type in my name, Gino Geraci, and go online, you'll find me. Excellent. Thanks for being here, Gino. And thank you for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet done so, uh, give us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast app and website. And you know what? Also check out the written blog, Theology for the People blog. You can find that at nickkady.org. God bless you, and we'll be with you again soon.